0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew 21. I know that's a surprise. It is Palm Sunday, and today we celebrate and remember the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem in the fulfillment both of uh, Zechariah, the prophet, uh, Zechariah 9, and we'll look at that a little bit uh, later, and of Psalm 118, which we have already read. Uh, These were both indicators and prophecies concerning this day and Christ fulfilled them and said to those who were experts in the Old Testament, now will you believe? Now will you believe? So if you're able, would you stand with me and we'll look at Matthew chapter 21. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we come just as men and women And we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding of your word. Our human eyes can read the words, but we cannot grasp the depths of their meaning. But when your Holy Spirit comes and opens our eyes and opens our hearts, then we see how it is we shall live, how it is you call us to live, and the power available to do the things that you lay before us. Open our eyes today, Lord, as we read your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 21, and I'll read the first 11 verses. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before him, and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, In Galilee. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. So, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to review these events because this is Palm Sunday and we need to make sure we have these fixed in our minds the day that Christ entered Jerusalem. And then we're going to look ahead towards the end of the week, just a few days later. When I think we see the heart of the Lord revealed to us, and this is the heart that we should have as well. As Jesus reveals his broken heart over those who rejected him, he weeps for them. Now we know that scripture does not teach universal salvation. We don't find that in scripture. I know some people will will say that it's there and will try to come up with some uh, gymnastics, exegetical gymnastics to say that all will be in heaven. But nobody speaks more about hell than Jesus Christ. He's the one that lays out the doctrine for us, talks about it. It is a reality. Not all will be saved. And Jesus, coincidentally, is the only means for which you can be saved. The only means by which you can avoid the hell that he talks about so often. And as we come to this passage, you will see that it is not a joy in Christ's life that any go to hell. It is a sorrow in his life. So we can imagine, only imagine both the joy and the sorrow in the heart of Christ, knowing that he saves his own, but not everybody is his own. There are people who simply will not be in heaven. I believe that we'll find in scripture here a sorrow in the heart of Christ for those who are not saved and a sorrow that should fill our hearts as well. I believe there is a real, um, that this is where the real difficulty lay in our hearts. Attempting to have the same type of love for those who reject Christ as Jesus did himself. So let's recount some of these events in Matthew 21 as we just read them so that we understand what's going on. Let's go back uh, two days. Let's say it's Friday night, and Jesus has arrived in Bethany. It's the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He's arrived there before sundown and had a meal with them and spent the Sabbath, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, in their home. We know that from John chapter 12 that on Saturday night a dinner was held at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we that's the time where Mary anointed Jesus' feet with oil. The next morning, Sunday, Jesus and his disciples make their way to Jerusalem. So they stop in this little town, Bethany, as they get close to Jerusalem. Or they're leaving Bethany and they stop in this little town, Bethpage, as they're heading to Jerusalem. And Jesus says to two of his disciples, go in and get at such and such a place you will find a donkey and a, a foal or a colt that's never been ridden. Go in and bring it to me. And if there's any problem, say the Lord has need of them and they will let it go. And that's exactly what happens. And so they bring the foal to Jesus. They lay their coats on them, spread the garments on the back of it and they ride into the city. Now as he gets closer to the city, the multitudes begin to to join into the crowd and and to come along like hanger-oners, and and here they are, they're in the procession, and they begin to shout out Hosanna to the son of David from Psalm 118, one of the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent were were in the Psalms about 114 to 125, 28, right around in there, and they were psalms that the pilgrims would sing on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So this is the time that pilgrims are on their way to Jerusalem. There are throngs and multitudes. There are lots and lots of people around here. So John tells us there's a group of people that had known Jesus and his ministry in Galilee. They converge with the crowd that's already following Jesus. There were all the people who had seen Lazarus raised from the dead and had seen him afterwards. And they're following along. And they're being, they're, the enthusiasm is growing. And the crowd starts saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. They begin to wave the palm branches. They begin to throw their cloaks in the street. I mean, it just becomes a full-blown celebration of Jesus. Some of them think this is the triumphal entry of the monarch who's come to destroy the Romans. And, and very few understand that he comes in fulfillment of the prophecy. That he's going to come humbly. It's the crowd that makes, him, that makes it a big thing. Jesus comes humbly. Now, all the town's abuzz. Now, when it says that, that all the town is abuzz, uh, that's my, abuzz is a deep theological term there. Uh, sorry. Um, um, uh, when, uh, verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, all the city stirred. That's the New American Standard Translation. They were all worked up, and not that they were all excited about it, but they were all talking about it. And they said, who is this? What's going on? What's all the fuss about? This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Nazareth. So this is the setting of this event. And we need to set this in the larger context of the triumphal entry in Jesus' ministry. Now Jesus' earthly ministry is coming to a close. We know this is the last week. And he's no longer interested in ministering in relative obscurity out in the fields and the small towns, out in the pastures and the hills. He is arriving in the very heart of the Jewish world at the very busiest time of the year for a specific purpose. No longer will he minister in obscurity. No longer will he do things in in relative secrecy. Because he wants the events of the next few days to be known by everybody. By everybody. Think of what Paul did a few years later as he's testifying in front of the Roman authorities. He said, you remember? You saw this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, you were there. You saw this. You knew what this meant. These things were not done in secret. J.C. Ryle says, Before the great sacrifice for sin of the world was offered up, it was right that every eye should be fixed on the victim. Before the great sacrifice of sin was offered up, every eye should be fixed upon the victim. Jesus is focusing our eyes on his person and his work. It's why he was born it's why he came into this world it is all coming to a climax so by riding into jerusalem on the full of a donkey he is fulfilling both zechariah chapter 9 specifically chapter 9 verse 9 he comes in gentleness and in peace not in war not in judgment He comes to be a blessing. He comes not to oppress, but to give freedom. This is the one who sat at the right hand of God the Father, who left that to come into this world that we might know salvation. And the Almighty God is riding on a beast of burden that's not his own that he had to appropriate from someone else it has no bridle it has no saddle he's riding on other people's cloaks as he come in comes into town this is the picture of humility and in verses 4 and 5 let's look at those briefly this is say to the now he took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled this is zechariah say to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey Even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So, why in particular does he come in that way is to force the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the scribes, all those people who claim to be experts in the Old Testament law, he's forcing them to say, you know what? That's what Zechariah said. Zechariah said that the Messiah would come this way. And look, there's a guy coming in just like he said. What did they do? Well, they said, yeah, but it can't be. You know, it can't be. It can't be true. It can't be him. It can't be the Messiah. And then for the next few days, Jesus does some very public things. He cleanses the temple. Remember, he goes in, turns over the tables, makes a big stink. He challenges the chief priests. He challenges the scribes, the Sadducees, the elders, the teachers by teaching them parables about the kingdom. So often it's "The kingdom of God is like," and then he gives them a story. Then at the very end of this section, prior to his teaching on the coming of the Son of Man in verse, in uh, chapter 24 and 25, we have this little interlude. Turn over to chapter 23. Right at the end, the last three verses 37, 38 and 39. And we have this little interlude where Jesus pours out his heart and cries over Jerusalem. He cries over those who reject him. It breaks his heart that they do not understand who he is. So Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is expressing his heart for those who have turned their hearts against him. It it doesn't make sense here. You know, if it was left to me, I'd be much more like Pilate. You know, well, I gave you the message. You're not going to believe? Off I go to somebody else. But Jesus... These are the people who reject Jesus, who have rejected him for these past three years in his ministry, who have said he's not really the Messiah, that the things he does are not true. Some have even called him a part of the work of Satan, and his heart breaks over them. He cries over them. He just can't, it's not that he can't believe, it's just the sorrow of those who do not believe. It's a tenderness And it's also a realization of the severity of judgment that waits for those who reject Jesus Christ. Those who have heard the good news, those who have seen the miracles and treated them with utter contempt, Jesus' heart breaks. So he stands in the temple area. It's very public and this is the place he has just condemned all the religious leaders. These are the people that all the Jews look up to. These are the people that they hold in high regard because of their apparent piety, their apparent uh, adherence to the law, uh, the life set apart, all these things. And Jesus in in chapter 23 has just said, and these are words you never want to hear from Jesus, woe to you. Okay, Those are bad words from Jesus. And he does that seven times. And he brings these seven woes onto the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he has done this in public. He calls them hypocrites. The most highly respected leaders of the day, religious leaders. He said, you're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And then he cries about it. He cries, oh, you're hypocrites, but how I've longed to gather you. For the very people he has just condemned, his heart is breaking. His heart is breaking for those hypocrites and the, and, the, and the crowd that doesn't believe and the crowd that very shortly will call for his crucifixion. He doesn't turn his face away from them. Even on the cross, he says what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. So we see here a picture of the heart of God. He does not delight in the destruction of sinners. He does not delight in the destruction of sinners. He delights when they turn from their sin. When they flee to him for grace. That's when the angels rejoice. When they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That when they repent of their sin. There is this great joy. But for those who have not repented of their sin. We see three warnings here. Verse 37, 38, and 39. In verse 37, we see a warning about unbelief, those who reject Christ. In verse 38, we see a warning about the immediate judgment that God is going to visit upon those who do not believe. And then in 39, we see a warning about the final judgment. So let's look at these three warnings and what they say to us, what they say to us. So we see in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. This is a recurring theme in some of the parables that Jesus teaches in the New Testament. You have the parable of the vineyard owner. He builds a vineyard. uh, He puts a wall around it. He puts a tower in the middle of it. He hires these servants to work the vineyard. And they work the vineyard and it's time for, in a sense, the payoff. So he sends some servants in. And he says, uh, the owner says it's time for a payoff. And they go, no, we're not giving you anything. So they beat him up. <clears throat> he sends some more servants in. And then they don't listen to those servants. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Surely they will listen to my son. So he sends his son. And what did they do? They kill him. So that's just one illustration of this. There are several in the New Testament where he says, I've sent you my prophets. You've killed them. You've stoned them. Then he goes, I know what you've done here. But how often I've wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I have longed to do this. I have wanted to. But what? You were unwilling Oh, those are just killing words. But you were unwilling. Jesus says, I have longed to do this. And and then he says, but you didn't want it. I really wanted it. You can't imagine I came into this world to save sinners, to save that they might understand the blessings of the Lord, that they might uh, avoid judgment. But you were unwilling. He makes it clear in the passage that many who profess to be God's people reject his love. The Pharisees professed that they were in God's will. That they were blessed by God. The Sadducees as well. Many who call themselves the people of God reject God and never receive his love. They they like the trappings of it. They like being a part of a group. They like being a member. They uh, They like being within the crowd. But when it comes to obedience... When it comes to a heart that's poured out before the Lord, they don't want any part of it. You see, that's the irony of what Jesus is saying. Because after this condemnation of the scribes and the Pharisees, those seven woes, he speaks to Jerusalem as the very heart of the nation, the very heart of the Jewish nation, as the symbol of of God's spirit, of, of the attitude towards all God's people at that time. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now, why does he say it twice? Wow, for a fact, right? now there's real significance in why he says it twice. Back in Luke chapter 10, Martha had chosen the mundane things over the things that, that Mary chose. He said, Martha, Martha. Later, when, when Peter, uh, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but what? I have prayed for you. And we go all the way back in the Old Testament, Absalom. Has, has betrayed David. He's tried to take his throne. He's done all these bad things to him. And Absalom dies and David goes, Absalom, Absalom, my son, were it I that died and not you. It's, it's, it's this, this pouring out of, of, of sorrow and, and anguish. John Calvin says, The pathos in Christ's voice was raised up as the Christ was raised up at Israel rejecting her Redeemer. It is wonderful and incomparable proof of his love that he did not mind using endearment to win rebels to his service. He said, here are the rebels. Oh, that you would come to me. Oh, that you would believe. Oh, that you would let me gather you together. Like a hen gathers his chicks under her chicks under her wings. This is a common Old Testament illustration from Exodus through the Psalms. We see it used on several occasions. Um, this, the Psalm talks about sheltering his people under the wings of the Most High. It's a picture of his love for his people. It's a picture of protection for his people. Imagine here you are, um, uh, if you've ever... Hang around chickens. Uh, here you are and you have all these chicks running around in the open area. And they see a shadow. And it's the hawk circling around. The chicks are in a, in a stir and the mother gathers them up under her wings to protect them. So the hawk doesn't come down and, and pick one off. Or maybe uh, the, the lightning starts and the thunder and the wind kicks up. And the chicks are afraid that the mom gathers them under her wings. And he said, this is what I've wanted to do for you, Israel. I've wanted to protect you. I wanted to... Pro- spare you from the judgment of our heavenly father but what you were unwilling and their unwillingness their unbelief was their own fault it was due to the hardness of their own hearts and this breaks the heart of christ It breaks the heart of Christ. And we know this is not just for the people who lived 2,000 years ago. This is for today. This is for tomorrow. This is for people of all ages. It breaks the heart of Christ when people are unwilling to believe. Jesus has come to us in our lives again and again. Just look at your life. How many times has Christ come to you? Maybe you're, you're a believer. You say, oh, I've been a believer for years. How many times did he come to you before you believed? Was it godly in the form of maybe godly parents? Or maybe that godly grandmother or grandfather who cared for you and taught you. And and every time you went to grandma and grandpa's house, you knew you were going to church because that's what was important to them. And they lived it out in front of you. And you didn't really get it for years, but now you understand it. Any number of people who have come into our lives who have acted like the voice of the Savior, declaring demonstrating the things of Christ. These overtures of grace sometimes are rejected time and time again by people today. Just like in Israel, you were unwilling. But the heart of Christ cries out and weeps over the hardness of our hearts. So Jesus says that he's the one who is always seeking. He's always desiring to gather us and to protect people of all ages, of, of all the ages. He's the one who is sending the prophets and the wise men. And he says, and you don't care. You don't care. J.C. Ryle says, Let us understand that the ruin of those who were lost is not because Christ was not willing or unable to save them, but because they would not come to Christ. Because they would not come to Christ. Christ is far more willing to save than we are to be saved. Get that in your minds. He is far more willing to save than we are to be saved. And he is perfect and he looks at us and here we are in our sin and our uh, our terribleness and he he is willing to save and we go what i like my sin i like my terribleness why do i need salvation i don't need to get out of here i am doing just fine that leads us to verse 38 behold your house is being left to you desolate Those who do not believe in Christ choose desolation. Now that's that's just desolation's a a kind of a fancy word for terribleness, awfulness, complete loss. I know it seems crazy. Who would choose desolation? Here you have a choice. I bring it before you. You can go and, and choose desolation, or you can choose righteousness and eternity with the Lord. It seems like an easy one, doesn't it? It sure does. But I learned something great this week. It's one of those things that you read again and again and again, and it just doesn't impact. But I thank Carlton for pointing this out to me. When Jesus says in John 3, 19, men love the darkness, do you know what kind of love that is? That's agape love. Men hate the light, and they love the darkness. They love it unconditionally they pursue it with all that they are why because they just love it it is so good to them and they love it right now it is an unconditional love for the darkness and they will never leave the darkness unless christ intervenes in their lives unless he comes and brings salvation in their lives they just eat it up they just love the darkness in our natural state Apart from saving grace, we love the darkness, and without that grace, we will never go away from that darkness. But yet, Scripture teaches, we are responsible for our sin. We are responsible when I say I am unwilling to choose Christ. I am unwilling to follow Christ. I'd rather follow desolation. Why? Because I love desolation. Because my heart is sinful, and I love it. And I love it. Jesus says, those who bypass me, those who are apathetic about me, who reject me, who reject the gospel, they choose desolation and the consequences that come with it. And Jesus makes it clear that in his physical departure from the world, they're going to be left in that desolation. Now, he's, he's got a long-term and a short-term application here. The short-term is, in just a few days, when you crucify me and I rise from the dead... And then I ascend to heaven, I'm going to be gone. And I'm not coming back until I come in the clouds of glory and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And the short-term desolation there is referring to the lack of his presence but also to the coming of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. All those things that you hold dear. Here's the temple. The Romans are going to come in. He doesn't say this but this is the short-term application. The Romans are going to come in and destroy everything you hold dear. Because you were unwilling to believe. And then the long term application, he says, when I'm gone, there'll be no more presentation to you. I mean, my presence will not be here. And I will not it will not be here again until I return. Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what will happen when he returns. And we will either rejoice and say as believers, our Lord and Savior. Or we will be forced to our knees by the angels who will and we will have to pronounce against our will. But in acknowledgement of who he is, he is Lord. He is over all. You will either be saved or you will not. And for those who are not, Christ's heart breaks. It just breaks. Matthew Henry said, what comfort can there be where Christ is not? It can't be. There are so many temporary things where we can find comfort, but there's desolation in the temporary. Desolation in the temporary. Now verse 39. For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as I said, when he returns, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you will either do it with praise on your lips or you will do it because the angels have forced you to your knees. And you must admit that you were unwilling to come to him. This is the last public message of Jesus to the people of Israel. And the last words as he cries out and pours out his heart, I want you to believe. I want you to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. He says, don't wait till tomorrow. This is the day. This is the day to believe. And and if you don't, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I long to gather you under my wings, but you were unwilling. A dreadful vengeance awaits us unless we hide ourselves under the wings of Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just rejoice in the coming of Christ into Jerusalem to, to highlight that he is the Messiah. That he is the one the prophets foretold and pointed to. And he came in just the way that they said he would. And his heart is full of compassion and love and care even for those who are unwilling to believe. And Lord, we're challenged with this. Is my heart in the same way? Do I have that same compassion? That Do I weep over those around me who do not believe? Am I brought to tears in the same way that Christ was? Lord, we know that there are those around us who, at this time, maybe through our declaration of the things of Christ, who who do not believe, but yet you do not abandon them. You may use other means, other people. Maybe you'll use electronic means. Maybe you'll use the the gospel lived out in front of them in acts of compassion and mercy, and and then declare the things of Christ. Uh, We we don't know, Lord, but we want to be part of that, because We want to be used by you to declare the things of Christ in word and deed. Lord, here's the heart of Christ. It should be our heart as well. Move within us, Lord, that this does not become something that we hear and move away from, but that we hear and take to heart. Such is the love of Christ for the lost. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.